I didn't take a picture of it, but we have, a, we have some strawberry plants, and it, I could barely say that that's true because we get maybe one or two strawberries a year. I remember when we planted them, I looked out the window and saw this squirrel picking my one berry, and he was just looking at me eating it. And I wished so bad I had a gun and just could blast him, just, you know, kingdom, wherever squirrels go when they die. Uh, but I didn't. I just watched him rob me, violate our backyard, and leave. And that was it. I think that was like the one berry we had for that year. It's not a very fruitful bush. It's really just kind of a green plant that tells us that we're failing. That's really what it is. And we have a plum tree. We don't actually have a plum tree. Our neighbors have a plum tree. But its branches come into our yard, and there's tons of plums. It's very fruitful. There's plums all over, so many plums that they fall to the ground. And they're, I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And we went to, um, we went to uh, when was it? I think two weeks ago in, I think it was Lafayette, uh, the peach, there was a peach festival. Thousands of people who knew that peaches had such a draw. But peaches of every, whatever, peach lemonade, peach salsa, peach cobbler, peach pie. I mean, just peaches all over. Just peaches, tons and tons of peaches. I think about a uh, peach tree, and uh, these are peach trees, and think about all the, there's peaches on the ground you can see too, and you just think about, that's fruitful, right? Very different from my strawberry plant. It's, that's fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is that something is planted, and then it grows, and there's so much that you could have a festival for it. I couldn't have a strawberry festival in my home. It would be a very sad party if I invited you to my strawberry festival. But the peach festival means there is something planted, and it is fruitful, and much has been created through this thing. And that image of fruitfulness, we don't live in an agricultural society, especially in Denver and Arvada in 2022. I know maybe some of you from the Eastern Plains, that stands out more to you. But back then, the image of fruitfulness is this image that God uses often for his vision for our lives. When God looks at your life, God's vision, one of the metaphors, one of the pictures or illustrations that he wants to give to us is that what he desires is fruitfulness. It means that God sees us. And he, I, loved, I loved thinking about this this week. Think about, there, this is true in all sorts of different fields. And a lot of times it's on reality shows, but it's true in all sorts of things where some expert looks at someone's life that's kind of messed up in some way and, and they step into it and say, I can change this. So if it's an extreme home makeover kind of thing, they look at it and they're like, yeah, this is bad, but I can fix this. And they've got a vision for it, right? And they can change it. Or if it's kind of a hoarder's show, if you've ever seen that. I've been in hoarder's homes, and I don't like go, I can change this. I go, I'm leaving. That's more what my instinct is. And if it's kind of a, if it's a show where I, I, I don't know if these shows are on TV anymore, but they used to have these, like, uh, what was her name? Like super nanny kind of shows. And she'd look at these, this family that has this messed up and these kids and it's all crazy. Some of you are like, yeah, that's my family. And super nanny comes in and she says, I have a vision. I can change this. So I love, if you just think about God's heart, he looks at our life and he, he as this master gardener says, I have a vision. I can create fruitfulness here. He has this desire to not have us be these, these limp strawberry bushes, but to be this. God has a desire. He looks at our life and says, I can bring fruitfulness here. I have the desire for it. I have the wisdom for it. I have the power 
to bring fruitfulness into your life. That's a vision. That's an image that God gives to us often. And I don't know kind of where you are in life. And even if you've been with us these past few weeks as we've been going through this series, you may feel kind of a dryness in your life. You may feel an apathy in your life, not really caring. You're content to just be the, the bush with one strawberry on it. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're suffering and feeling the pain of barrenness and dryness, or maybe it is something that you feel like you once had. You used to have fruit. You used to be a tree that was having fruit, and now it's, it's not so much. One little squirrel comes, and that's over. That's the whole harvest for the year. I don't know kind of where you are or what you feel, but the Bible uses this image often that God can bring fruitfulness into your life, that that's what his desire is, that he wants us to be these trees that are producing, that are blessing, that are giving, that are joyful. That's what God's vision is for your life, fruitfulness. That's what God desires to do. And, and in this book of Titus that we've been looking at, a letter that Paul writes to a pastor named Titus in Crete, that's what living good is. It is a life that is fruitful. Not just believing things and having the right knowledge, but it is a life that is fruitful. That's what God wants to give to you. He wants to give you a good life, a life that is abundantly fruitful. And wherever we are, that is what he wants to do. And so we're going to just end the book of Titus. It's only a few verses. And in some ways, maybe you haven't been here all the past few weeks. This is kind of a, a summary of a lot of what we have already looked at as we close out this book. How can we have a fruitful life? That's what God's vision is. How can we have that? And so let's read this, and then we will discover this together. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. That's where we're getting this idea. God does not want us to be unfruitful. All that he is saying, and really as the conclusion of the letter, all that he has said, this is what God wants, so that we will be fruitful. All those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. So let's begin and just ask this. What is a fruitful life? God's vision is fruitfulness, but what is a fruitful life? What is it? And we think about God. If you think about God looking at the world, if you think about God looking at our city, what is it that God desires? What does God want to happen? When God looks around, what does God want to happen? What does God see? And what God wants is to bring salvation, to save people, and to bring in that his kingdom. That life would look like, if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. What God desires is for people to be saved and brought into his kingdom, and then for life to look like his kingdom. For life to look like what it would look like as with Jesus as king. That is what he desires to do. That's why there's all this activity. If you even, I know this is kind of higher, like bigger picture of what's going on, but when you think about all the activity that's happening, Paul's talking about, I'm sending these people to you. Why? Why, is, why does he care about sending more people there? 
because he wants to see people saved. He wants to see God's kingdom continue to happen. Then he wants Titus to come to him because he needs help in what he's doing so that people would be saved, so that God's kingdom would more come. Then there's these other people that are coming on their journey. So that means they're going to other places and now they're going here. And he wants them to be able to see people come to know Jesus, to be saved, and for God's kingdom to move forward, that people would experience life as in God's kingdom all through. The whole reason that they're in Crete to begin with, where Titus is, the big picture of all that, what what is God doing? He's saving people. That's why there's all this activity happening He's saving people, and then he is leading them to pray and to bring God's kingdom for people to experience what it's like to be in God's kingdom. So that's what God's desire is. When God looks at the world, when God looks at our city, God's desire is that. But how does that happen? How does this salvation happen? How does his kingdom coming happen? And here's how. He saves people, which in the Bible's metaphor is a seed gets planted, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us comes into our life like a seed. He saves us, but then that's not it. He saves us and then he sends us. So if you think about the the planting imagery that the Bible gives of fruitfulness, think about how foolish it would be if you just planted something in a seed and then said, all right, job done. A seed is in the ground. Ha, did it. That's not, it's supposed to do something, right? You plant it for something. It's important to plant the seed. The seed is the beginning of something. The seed is the the beginning of new life that is going to happen, but something is supposed to happen from that. You don't just plant peach seeds. You want to have a peach festival, right? You want to have a peach pie. You don't just want to say, yeah, I've got a peach seed in the ground. It's really cool. You want to actually eat a pie. That's what you want. Or to be able to bake a pie for somebody. That's what you desire to have actually happen. And the Bible says that God saves us, but he also sends us. That he begins life in us, but that intention of the beginning is that fruitfulness would happen. There's a so that, there's a reason that we are saved. The Bible says this all throughout. Paul said it in Titus. If you've ever read the book of Ephesians, he says the same thing there where he talks about you've been saved by grace for So there's a purpose, there's a reason for good works that have been prepared for you beforehand. God starts this thing in us, plants this seed, but there's a reason, there's a for, and it is for fruitfulness. The fruitful life is one that is engaged in God's work. The fruitful life is one that is committed to good works, bringing the fruit of his salvation to others around us. The fruitful life is one that says, God has worked in me with a seed, and I want the fruit of that to now come out in good works. God's work and then good works. That is what the fruitful life is in our home. Paul talked all about that, what it looks like, kind of different life stages, younger men, older men, younger women, older women, and what it looks like in our home to be bringing God's work around us, what it looks like in our work what it looks like in our world, what it looks like in our church, that that is what God's desire is. He plants a seed in us and wants fruit to come out of us. God's work leading to good work around us so that people can see and taste this is what life would be like in God's kingdom. 
That's what the fruitful life is. And listen, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to ignore that. It's easy to, to love and rejoice in and say, I'm so glad I've got the seed of salvation in me. If you're a Christian, and I don't know where everyone in this room is, some of you maybe are exploring faith and we're glad that you're here, but if you're a Christian, you say, I've been saved, I've received this seed in me. But it's easy to kind of just go, and that's good, I've got the seed. But what God wants, what Jesus desires is for fruitfulness to actually happen. But it's easy for us to often ignore that, to forget it, Maybe it's like, I know not many of you are in this stage, but uh, you may have received this, I don't know, but if, if you had parents that said, I'm saving, I'm sacrificing, I am investing to fill up a bank account for you for college. Now, you're like, I didn't have, I didn't have that either. Okay, so great. Maybe you can give it to your kids or your grandkids. Uh, and, and you say, man, this is, they've, they've done all of this sacrifice, all of this generosity, all of this giving to provide you these resources. And then if you just go, yeah, but I'm just going to, maybe I'll go to college, but I'm just not really doing anything. I'm going to be eight years, change my major multiple times, not really do anything, just kind of wasting it. There's all these resources, all of this sacrifice and generosity that's been done, but it's not actually used. Or if you think about, I, I told you a few weeks back that we were watching the Rocky movies. We're on to Rocky Three, or we watched Rocky Three last night, okay? So we're, all my illustrations are going to be Rocky for a little while, okay? I think there's 12 movies, so we're going to be, it's going to be all Rocky illustrations. But if you think about, a lot of times I told you there's always these, uh, you know, the training montage sequence, and especially the ones made in the 80s are so much better. The Creed movies are good, but it's all hip-hop, but I want 80s montage. I want Eye of the Tiger, short shorts. That's what I want. My kids are like, oh, what are they wearing? And I'm like, it's awesome. <clears throat> So you need, but they have these big, long training montages, right? And they've got all, and they're running, and they're training. And then if at the end of that, they just went, yeah, that was cool. And then maybe the movie just ended. You go, what? That doesn't, all of that investment, all of that energy, all of those seeds being laid is supposed to be for something. It's supposed to be so you can knock Mr. T out. It's supposed to be so you can beat the Russians. That's what it's for. It's leading to something, right? So listen, God has planted a seed in us. And so often it's easy for us to go, I'm saved. That's great. Or even if you think about on a Sunday, to learn, to receive God's seed, God's word gets in us and we go, that's great. But then nothing happens. The four never gets realized. It's all training montage. It's all money in the bank account, but not being used. It's all seeds in the ground, but no peach festival. God is saying, I want fruitfulness for you. And the reason that he saved you wasn't just so you could say, I'm saved. The reason he saved you had a reason. There's a four. It's a fruitful life where God's work leads to good work around you. So let me just ask you this. Do you know that this is why you were saved? If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, this is why God wants to save you. Do you know that that is what God's desire is? That this is why you were saved. You were saved for something. You were saved for good works. He planted a seed in you for something. Do you know that? And do you believe that? And do you consciously say, okay, 
So I want to get in the game. I want to get off the bench. I don't want my whole life to be running on the beach in short shorts. I want to actually fight. I want to be a part of it. Do you know that that is why he saved you? Do you consciously believe and receive that's God's vision for my life? Fruitfulness, a peach festival. Whatever one connects with you. I'm going short shorts and sports and I'm going peaches. So hopefully that covers the whole room, right? Like, I don't really connect with sports. Well, do you connect with peaches? Maybe that'll work. Okay, so that's what the fruitful life is. How do we get that? How do we get the fruitful life? And really, that's kind of all that Paul has been walking us through in this book. How do we get it? Here's what he says here. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so that they're not unfruitful. Let our people learn, which means naturally we don't know. Naturally, we drift. You will, listen, you won't drift into a fruitful life. That will never happen. You will never just kind of go, I've been saved. And then just by accident, your life is very fruitful. That doesn't happen. You will not drift into fruitfulness. You will not drift into what God's purpose is for you in your life. You won't drift into it. It won't just happen. That's why he says, let our people learn this. It means by ourselves, we forget. By ourselves, we are ignorant. By ourselves, we miss it because our hearts don't want it. Because we have other things that we are focused on. Much of the progress that you've experienced in your life in various avenues has come because of something that you learned. You may be a certain place in your career because you learned and you wouldn't be able to be there without it. You might be better at certain hobbies and things because you learned. A lot of you are buying houses and you have no clue how to hang up pictures or redo your bathroom, right? But you go on YouTube and you learn or you ask your dad or your father-in-law or your mother-in-law, if she's whatever, you ask and you learn. And then 10 years from now, you're like, yeah, I know how to do these things. And progress has happened in your life because you learned, right? We, we all know that. That's just very basic. But Paul says here, the way that you're going to have a fruitful life won't just passively happen. We have to learn to devote ourselves to good works. That's why. That's why throughout the book of Titus, and I was going to highlight kind of all the different places that this has happened, but just go back and listen to all the sermons. Uh, why the key in Titus, one of the main keys, is the priority of the church. That's why over and over again, Paul will say to Titus things like, you need to remind them about this. That means because they need to learn. You need to insist on these things. That means because they need to learn. Don't let anyone disregard you with this teaching that you need to bring because they need to learn. Over and over and over again, the priority that Paul is saying is we need the church. We need this. We need God's word being pressed into our lives because without it, there is progress that won't happen. We'll stay where we are. We won't learn. There is a life of fruitfulness that God desires for us to have, for you to have. There is fruit in your life that God wants to do, in your home, in your work, in your neighborhood, in the relationships that you have. There is fruit that God wants to bring. 
But how you get that is through learning, which is part of why the church is so important. Where else are you having God's word impressed, insisted upon, reminded into your life? He says, we need this. Old and young, men and women, we have to learn. That's how we get it. What what do we need to learn? Well, again, we've kind of looked at it all throughout the book. But there's at least a couple, few different things that we need to learn. We need to learn what it is that God says about good works and about fruitfulness. We have to learn what he says. We have to learn that he says it's not an optional thing or an extra thing. I think sometimes we think that. We think, okay, I've been saved. That's what really matters. But fruitfulness and good works and, okay, that's maybe for those that are really passionate or maybe that's for the the extra people, but this is just kind of my life. I'm content to just say I've learned some things and I'm not going to hell and if I can read a couple Bible verses every once in a while, I'm good. But he says, this is not an optional thing. We have to learn that it's something that God says he wants for all of us. It is the vision that he has for us. He says, it's your calling. He says, it matters. Listen, when we hear all of these various calls about God's desire for us to be about good works, to be loving and serving and looking at needs that there are, whether that's, again, in the world, in our home, at work, when you hear God say that over and over and over again, you know what that means. It means that God actually really cares about the details in our lives. God actually looks at the needs that we have. God looks at the the problems that are there. He looks at the lack that is there. He looks at the need for growth and training and all the different things we've talked about. God looks at that and says, I care about that. I care about bringing help into people's lives, into your life. I care about people being loved. I care about people being helped and cared for. I care about kindness being done. God is saying that that's who he is and that he really cares about those things. That God isn't a God that just says, I just really want everyone to believe the right stuff. God is a God that says, I care about needs and practical things in your life and the lives of people around us. That that's the kind of God he says he is. He wants us not to just experience Words, prayers, but actual tangible love being done. So the first thing that we have to do to get a fruitful life is we have to learn, and part of what we have to learn is that God says, this is what I expect, this is what I want, this is what I want us all to step in. We also need to learn what they are, what the good works are. And again, Paul has kind of gone through. If you, if you look at the book of Titus, it kind of opens up and talks about good work in the church. And then it talks about good work kind of in our home and work and kind of those spheres. And then it talks about good work in the world around us. That's what we talked about last week. So we have to know, we have to learn what the good works are. And here's what, here's what Titus is saying. Here's what Paul want, would want to teach us. The good works are everywhere in your life. The good works can be the small things that you do with your kids, in your family. They can be things in your job. They can be the way you treat your neighbors. They can be things that are pressing needs. That's what he kind of mentions here that you see and you say, there's a need there. 
talked a lot about last week, how we need to cultivate eyes to see what's around us and then step in to those opportunities. There's a proactive approach. There's a reactive approach where we see things and acts proactive saying, what good can I do? And I'm going to find ways to bring it. But the good works are all over. Each interaction that we have, things that are out there and things that are in here in the church. It is bringing good, bringing good to those around you. So we have to learn what they are. And then we also have to learn who God is. Over and over again through this book, what he has done is connected who God is and what he's done for us to the good works that we are called to. So it started with saying, remember that God is good and there's false teachers and false visions of the good life that you might be tempted towards. And we have to remember who God is. We have to learn who God is so that we trust him. So we trust his voice to define the good life. And then he talks about the the ways that we're called to bring good into our life and all the daily interactions and all the different things that we do. And he says that you were saved for this. He redeemed you from these things for these things. And he reminds us that Jesus is a redeemer that says it doesn't matter what your old life was. He has a new life for you to step into this. We have to remember Jesus is a redeemer. He brings new life. He doesn't want us to stay in the old ways. It doesn't matter how long we've been in them. It doesn't matter if we still struggle with things. He has saved us and brings new life. He's a redeemer. He says you have to know that. You have to learn that. You have to remember that. And that will train you, he said, and strengthen you. And then he says that we have to also remember that he's gracious. We talked about this last week. Remember where you were and remember what he did to save you. Not because of anything you did, but because of his grace. You have to remember he's gracious. All of those things. We have to learn that God says it matters. We have to learn what the good works are that we're called to. We have to learn who God is. All of this is Titus kind of giving us this picture, presenting us this picture. Keep reminding us of this, that here's what we have to learn. There are certain beliefs and truths of who God is, and then there are things that we are called to. We are called to good works, and Jesus is this amazing Savior that gave himself for us, Paul says, that even though we were disobedient and foolish and far from God, and he made us heirs, he made us his family. He, so there's these things that we're called to, and there's things that are true about who God is. And we have to learn to connect those. If you want to have a fruitful life, you need to know, here's the things God calls me to. Here's who God is and what he's done for me. And here is the connection that binds those things together. Instead of any way thinking that there's a split, that it's either salvation or works, that it's either belief or action. He says these things are inextricably connected. He has saved you for good works. He has saved you not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you deserved. That should lead us to serve others, not because of anything they've done, not because of anything they deserve. We have to learn the things that God says are true about who he is as Savior, the things that he says we are called to, and the link between those things that keeps us going and remembering and being empowered and changing how we look at and think about people and 
of what our involvement looks like. So that's how we get a fruitful life. We learn these things over and over and over again, reminded of them, insisted of them. And then next, what does a fruitful life look like then? A fruitful life is God's work leading to good works. We get it through this learning, but what's a picture of it look like? What does a fruitful life look like? And we looked at this word last week, but Paul keeps bringing it up, and he says it, it looks like this. It looks like being devoted. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Devotion. It's such a powerful word. There's a lot of different places in the Bible that will use that word, talking about devoting yourself to prayer. Uh, Several months back, we looked at it talking about devoting yourself to community. But here he says, the life, the fruitful life is one that is devoted to good works. Devoted to good works. Not just to do them, but to be devoted to them. What are you devoted to? What comes to your mind when you think about things that you are devoted to. Maybe you're devoted to getting to the airport on time. Some of you get there three hours early and you're just ready for the, you're ready for the plane. We used to be like one hour people, but then DIA just changed to have a TSA pre-check only line for the wealthy elite. And then a, uh, a impoverished line where they're like, yeah, it's going to take six hours. Are you sure you don't want to pay? Like, okay, fine. But some of you are devoted to that, right? And devoted to being on time. We were just traveling this week, so I was thinking about that. Uh, maybe some of you are devoted to your hobbies, right? You, you're devoted to your yard. I'm, I'm not devoted to my strawberry plants, but you might be devoted to your yard. You might just, your yard is great. It's, you mow the grass. You, you get all the, the right things done and the sprinklers, and it's just beautiful. It's, oh man, devoted to that. Maybe you're devoted, maybe think it, maybe take it a little more seriously, and you're devoted to your spouse. You say, I'm, I'm devoted to them. They're mine. I would never think about someone else, never think about doing something. I'm devoted to them. You're devoted to your kids. Are you devoted to various hobbies or things that you have? I've told you I'm a list junkie. I just, I, I want to know what the, all the Oscar-winning movies are, or what all the, you know, best donut shops are, best, and any list that there is, I just automatically have to do it. And I'm devoted to it. I've got to complete the list. And I love when restaurants close because then it means I don't have to go to them. And so I can cross it off the list and save money. Um, And so I know that's mean, but I'm like, yes, all right. That's one off the list that I didn't actually have to go to. Um, There's devotion that we have in our lives, right? I'm not even joking about that. Uh, There's devotion we have. (laughs) Westward always puts out this like, uh, I think they do it either monthly or weekly of like, Restaurants, restaurant openings and closings. And I always look at the closings. I'm like, cross-reference it. Yes, okay, good, I'm safe. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm messed up, okay? So, but the, uh, there's things that we are devoted to, and listen to me. We live in an awesome place. It does have great restaurants. It does have great hikes. Best hikes, yep, I've done those too. Okay, it's got, we live in a place with great hikes, great restaurants, great activities. A lot of you are dual-income You've got money to be able to travel to cool places. You've got, you've, you can see cool things and spend money on cool things, explore cool things, have great hobbies. There is a lot to be devoted to. And if we're not careful, our hobbies, our travel, our pleasures, it will take up our schedule. It'll take up our energy. It'll take up our money. 
It'll take up our time. It'll take up our hearts. And we'll have a lot of fun being a shriveled little strawberry bush. When God says, I want you to be fruitful. And the way that that comes is through devoting yourself to good works. So listen, no one, I'm not going to take a poll. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But are you devoted to this? Are you devoted to what Paul is saying all throughout this book? This is God's word. Don't just think that it's God's word to believe the right things. I believe Jesus has died for my sins and saved me. Yep, that's God's word. Amen. And you know what he says that should lead to? You know why he says that he did that in the first place? Was that so you would live a life of good works that he has for you. That's God's word too. Are you devoted to the good that he has for you? Look at all the different ways, even just in this short little thing, that kind of exemplify this. When he tells Titus, make every effort to help these people. And then these two people that are coming, diligently help them. Make it so they lack nothing. Even in this short little passage, Paul is giving kind of this heart, this intensity, this give your best in these situations. He's showing Titus, even in just a little snapshot of what it looks like to be devoted to good works. He doesn't just say, yeah, some people are coming. If you have time, get coffee with them. They might like to, I don't they probably didn't have coffee. In, well, maybe they had coffee. I don't know. It's Crete. Have some euros with them. Have some, you know, hummus, hang out. And he doesn't, it's not casual. It's make every effort, diligently help. Make sure they lack nothing, right? There's this intensity to it. That's what devotion looks like. It looks like us giving ourselves wholeheartedly, just like you do with other things that you are devoted to. Devote yourself. So let me give you some practical things. Because if you've been here the last four weeks, we're kind of closing out. And I want you to not just hear these things, but go, what, so what does that mean? Well, let me give you one that's easy in the sense of easily applied. There are good works that are needed to be done here in our church. Every, every week, I don't know, maybe it takes a dozen or so people to do kids and to do setup and to do teardown and have the band up here and to have all, all the different things that we do, the connect team. There are good works that are needed to be done here. And I don't, I'm not going to say this to try to shame anybody, but there are people that come here for years and go, man, this is awesome. I have a chair to sit in. I've got music I can sing. I've got coffee I can drink and, and receive, but don't ever say, are there needs that I should be actually serving in? So there's good works that you can do here. And I thank God for the people in our church that have devoted themselves. We wouldn't have a church. if It would just be me on the floor, just being like, all right, where's my podium? I don't even know. I'd have no slides. Just like, all right. You would be sitting on the floor outside. We met outside before. It was hot. Okay? So... There are needs here that you can step into, good works here that you can do. There are needs in your home, in your family. All right, let me just go back to what I said before, just a second, so that you can apply that. I want to encourage you, if you are not serving, sign up today. 
You can do it on the iPads back there, or you can fill out the Connect card even if you've already filled it out and just say, this is not a new person Connect card. This is a devotion to good works Connect card. And say, sign me up to serve. You can do that, okay? I would encourage you, before you hear Paul's words that he's been giving to us throughout, and step into it. Actually take action. There's good works that are to be done in your home. Paul went through all the, here's younger women, here's older women, here's younger men, here's older men, all the different ways. There are good works in your home, in your marriage, in your family. Good works are not just these big giant things. It is also just the daily ways that we show kindness and love one another. Sometimes those are the hardest things to do. Sometimes it's easy to sign up to change the world. You're like, yeah, all, I don't, maybe when you were in college or something, you're like, I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go build wells, and that feels really cool and awesome. But then it's like, yeah, but what about just the daily good works? Doing the dishes, playing with your kids, just the daily things that are acts of bringing love and kindness. There's good works to be done at your job. Instead of just clocking it in and saying, all right, what, how can I get out of here as quick as possible? Are we as Christians the best employees? I've never had this happen. And it might be kind of weird, so I'm not saying like, shame on you. But it would be so awesome if I got an email from one of your bosses saying, I heard this person goes to your church. You must be really teaching, encouraging people to be amazing workers. Like, wouldn't that be great if that was just true of all Christians? That it was just the reputation that we really showed up and did good. That's what Paul talked about couple weeks ago. And there's good works to be done in our neighborhood. Small things that we can do. There are good works that we are called to bring in to people's lives to show God's goodness. So there are all sorts of things. And you might say, that's, that's a, that sounds like a lot. Okay? Yeah. And you know how you do it? By not being devoted to all these things. But saying, this is something I should have a priority in my life. It's why God saved me. I am stepping into the good that he has for me. We have, we have an opportunity to serve coming up. We, we uh, partner with a ministry called Hope House. I'm, I don't, I'm not ready to give you all the information on it yet, but just be listening for that. We served schools a few weeks back. Some of you were involved in that. There's always opportunities that God sets before us. So question, are you devoted to good works. If not, don't just say, no, I suck. God is saying, here's my vision for you. We can step into that. That's what he has for us. This is the training montage. But after this, you got to go punch Mr. T. That's what needs to happen. That's what God calls us to. So it looks like being devoted. And then secondly, it looks like doing this together. Look at all the just kind of names that are here. He says Artemis and Tychius. So these are people being involved. They don't have a book of the Bible written after them. These aren't like apostles and famous people. Zenus, it's kind of a cool name. And he's a lawyer, by the way. So if you're, a, you know, like lawyers can't be Christians. Zenus was, there you go. Apollos, he was a preacher dude. And then it says, let our people... So this is not kind of this specific class of people that are supposed to be involved in this. It's not just the professionals that we pay to do good works for us. He's saying this is something that we do 
together. It's something that each of us is called to because if you were saved, you were saved to bear fruit. If you were saved, you were saved for good works. So he says, let our people, not let the leaders know this, let the really serious ones know this, let those that are extroverts or activist type know this. It's, this is for our people. This is for all of them. And you see just a picture of all these different people being involved in it. It's a fruitful life looks like us doing this together. Sometimes we might say something like, that's not my gifting, or it's not my thing. Or He says, no, this is something our people are to be invested in, to be involved in. You know, there was this uh, study done uh, a while ago. This is from a book that came out a handful of years ago. But there was, they, they looked at religious communities, not just Christians, but they looked at religious communities. And they could tell. This is sociological data. The book I'm going to show you is written by an atheist. But it's sociological data that said religious communities are better neighbors. They are better. Why? Why is that the case? And here's what it said. It said, why are religious people better neighbors and citizens? To find out, Putnam and Campbell, those are sociologists, included on one of their surveys a long list of questions about religious beliefs as well as questions about religious practices. These beliefs and practices turned out to matter very little. So their beliefs didn't actually matter all that much. But what mattered, the only thing that was reliably and powerfully associated with the moral benefits, the good neighborness of religion, was how enmeshed people were in relationships with their co-religionists. It is religious belongingness that matters for neighborliness, not religious believing. I think that's a very fascinating thing that really the Bible in a lot of ways says is true. Yes, your beliefs matter. Yes, your religious practices matter. But if you're not enmeshed in a community that is saying this is what we are doing together, if you're not enmeshed in a community that says together we're called to this, you won't do it. And so he says the fruitful life looks like togetherness. That's part of why we do believe so much in community groups and life transformation groups and being here on Sundays is because we know, the Bible says, you won't be able to live the life devoted to the fruitfulness that God has for you by yourself. You won't be able to do it. What is the fruitful life look like? It's devoted, it's together, and then the final thing is that it is with grace. He ends it, grace be with all of you, which is a, just a kind of a, a closing, right? It's just a closing greeting. And yet, it also means a lot. It's actually a profound statement. It's easy for us to kind of just read that as sort of a goodbye, Paul. But it, it really is a profound thing that he ends with to say he wants grace to be with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing, all the time, and that that is what is needed for a fruitful life. In every situation, how did God treat me? He treated me with grace. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus bring me into his family? Grace. Why did he save me? What did I do to earn grace? Why does Jesus desire for me to step into good works? Is it, is it because he needs me to earn something? No, he's already given you grace. And it's out of an overflow of 
appreciating and wanting to show that grace to others that we then live. He's saying he wants grace to be with us, all of us, all of the time, wherever we go. Constantly coming back to that. To be fruitful, this has to be the soil that we live in. To have a fruitful life, the soil has to be grace. I told you guys uh, when we were in our Proverbs series that we, if you ha- there's a, a cool documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. It's fun. Uh, we went and visited this farm on vacation, and they took this totally dry, barren piece of land and then regenerated it into this amazingly fruitful thing. And when we were there, and it talks about it in the movie too, but when we were there, they said that one of the keys for it is the soil. You can't just do things differently. You can't just you know, plant better seeds, or it's all about the soil. That you can have an amazing seed. You can have a vision and plans and desires and dreams for here's what fruit could look like. You can plan out your peach festival. You can know all the right things, but if the soil is dry, if the soil is messed up, it won't birth, it won't work. And they had us go there and dig our hands in this big vat. And it was kind of cool, but kind of gross because there's all sorts of bugs in there. And like, what is this? Oh, that's poop. Oh, cool. Yeah. And you're digging your hands in there and it's all this stuff, but it's rich soil. And the fruitful life that God desires for you, the soil that is needed for that is grace. That we have to remember and come back to over and over and over again, where our life has to be planted in is the grace of what Jesus has done for me. The grace that he gave to me when I didn't deserve it. All of that leads us to trust him. It leads us to treat other people differently. It leads us to not want to be in our old ways, but to know the price he paid to lead us over here. We have to live in the soil of his grace, which is why Paul ends with, Grace be with all of you. Because he knows in a book that is heavy on good works and do this and do that, that it won't happen if we don't live in the soil of God's grace. And let me say this last thing about grace. When Paul says grace be with all of you, here's what that means. There is objective grace that you have received from Jesus. If you're a Christian, Jesus died for you on the cross, a death that you didn't deserve, a death, excuse me, that you did deserve in your place, giving you grace that you didn't deserve. He died for us in our place. He did that, that's grace. He resurrected and gave us life, that's grace. All of that is objective grace. But to say grace be with all of you means he wants us to experience that grace. It means there's not only the objective grace that happened 2,000 years ago, there's an experienced reality that we can keep coming back to that he wants you to have today. He wants you to be able to live, to remember, to have it be fresh, to have it be the soil. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. And when we take communion, if you didn't grab one of those little cups on the way in, you can. We remember Jesus' body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us. And we remember God did this. Jesus did this to give us a fruitful life. Jesus says this about himself when he's going to the cross. 
He says, speaking about wheat, he says, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it does go into the earth, if it's buried, if it dies, then it bears much fruit. So Jesus himself is saying he was the seed that came into this world that was dead and buried. But through his death, we experience fruit. We are his fruit. We are the fruit of what he did. And he calls us into the fruitful life that he has for us. And it might take dying. It might take giving up some things. But so that there is fruitfulness. That's the vision of the good life that God has for you. He didn't just want you to believe things. He has died to give us fruitfulness. So what does that mean for you as we close as you take communion, just take some time and pray. Maybe it's to confess that you've been devoted to other things and not him. Maybe it's to confess ways in, in which you've ignored his call. I'd encourage you to confess and I would encourage you to thank him for his grace and ask that to be the soil of your life and ask him to give you eyes to see the good works he wants you to step into so that you may have a good life a fruitful life. Father, I thank you for your grace for us. I thank you that you want us to plant our lives in the soil of the richness of your objective and experienced grace. May that be fresh for us. May we remember, even as we take communion now and sing songs, Lord, let that Go deeper into our hearts. Let us learn. Let us remember. Let us be reminded of your grace and your beautiful vision of fruitfulness for us. God, make us a fruitful people. Make us a fruitful church. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.